There was no controversy in scientific circles and we didn't do anything about it. So now we have the difficult problem of balancing the changes that need to be made with the impacts that these changes are going to have on the poorest of us. And this is where we all need to come together and get rid of all of this polarizing talk and really sit down and talk about how this should be done. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Produced by Soapbox Media. The world needs evidence-based public policy now more than ever. Making the right decisions should not be partisan politics. Please help spread the rational view by going to patron.podbean.com slash the rational view. Together, we can make a better future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. In this episode, I'm going to run through a few uh, interesting scientific announcements that have been in the news and have been causing controversy and uncertainty. And I would like you to understand my uh, approach to how I, I judge these announcements and uh, what I think about them. Perhaps this will help you in how you understand the news. So uh, if you like what you're hearing, please press like on your podcast app. Please share it with your friends. I would love to hear from you on my Facebook group, The Rational View. Now, I'm going to start off with the recent announcement of room temperature superconductivity. There's a research group, two groups actually of researchers have published preprints announcing the discovery of a room temperature superconductor at ambient pressure. Now, this may ring a bell. Uh, this is something that people have been seeking for for almost 100 years now before, since the discovery of superconductivity. Superconductivity is when uh, current can flow through a wire with no resistance at all. So it doesn't, there's no heating losses if you can make wires out of superconductors. And in fact, these do actually exist. But the problem is that superconductors mainly work at cryogenic temperatures. They're really cold. So you need like liquid nitrogen or liquid helium to cool your, your superconductor so it starts working. And this is used in uh, magnetic resonance imagers in hospitals, in tokamaks for fusion and particle accelerators. Maglev trains, there's so many different uses for superconductivity. And these are mainly when you need lots of high current, but you don't want to deal with the heating. So you have to cryogenically cool things. It's very expensive to have these machines because of resistance in wires. So back to the announcements. There have been announcements of uh, creeping up in the temperature regime. Scientists, physicists have been looking for particular materials with the right properties that allow electrons to shoot through them with no resistance. And in fact, the theory behind superconductivity is really cool. It's a quantum mechanical effect where electrons pair up and move through the solid as a wave and are not perturbed by the vibrations of the solid associated with heat. We've had many of these announcements previously that none of them have panned out. It's kind of been like a cold fusion scenario where there's a lot of hype followed by uh, failures to reproduce. So skepticism still remains high on this, on this announcement. But it, if it's true, it's a Nobel Prize for sure. So this, the most recent one that was actually um, verified is that there is a possibility of room temperature superconductivity, but using extremely high pressures in a diamond anvil, uh, you know, nothing that you can actually uh, achieve in, in a feasible application. But this one claims to be at ambient temperature and pressure superconducting, and it's from South Korea. 
uh, would be revolutionary if true. Um, the researchers are from South Korea's Quantum Energy Research Center. And these, these guys are kind of outsiders in the world of superconducting physics. And uh, most of the insiders are skeptical. Now, sure, maybe they're biased, but let's face it. Uh, we need to have replication before anyone's going to believe this is actually working. The, pro the proposed material is called lead apatite. It's kind of a crystal, like a rock. It's an insulator. And what they've done is they've put an admixture of copper into the lead apatite. And it's not really a material that superconductor conducting researchers have been looking at or would expect to be superconducting. So this is another reason for skepticism. But teams around the world now, I'm sure, are rushing to try and duplicate the result. And probably in a few days, we'll know whether uh, their recipe uh, bears fruit. Now, apatite itself is a very brittle material. It makes up your bones and forms the hard outer shell of your teeth. Um, it doesn't make good wires. So even if it is a superconductor, it may be infeasible or very difficult to to make a, a compound that can be drawn into wires, for example, which is the, the main application of superconducting. You know, if you have to deposit crystals in a, in a line to make a wire, maybe it's not as revolutionary or helpful as, as first thought. So is it real? We don't know. If it's a hoax, why? Well, one possibility, the price of lead appetite jumped 300% on the, on the uh, announcement. And this hasn't been peer reviewed. It's just been pushed out there on a preprint server with no peer review at all. So if I had a lot of useless minerals sitting around wanting to make a quick buck and had few moral qualms about taking other people's money, well, an announcement of superconductivity is a good way to, to uh, enhance the value of your mineral holdings. But let's face it. Even though you can think of a motive, there's no need to think of a motive to be skeptical. This is a difficult physical measurement. There could be all sorts of reasons. They could have fooled themselves. You know, it's a very exciting topic and, and you know, any hints of superconductivity and then everyone in the lab is rushing to publish the result to get their hands on the Nobel Prize because only three people can share a Nobel Prize. And it's interesting because the two papers that were published, one was a much larger group and the other one was just three people. So... What else is in the news right now? Well, UFOs are again in the news. There was a uh, congressional hearing. Uh, a nonpartisan committee interviewed insiders in the U.S. Uh, intelligence community. Some some guy says he was told in his job of investigating uh, UFO claims that the government had been reverse engineering a crashed UFO with non-human remains for years. He claims it's been covered up by the government or by the Pentagon. Um, so what does this mean? Are UFOs real? Does the U.S. military actually have alien body parts? Let's examine the evidence. Do we have any new evidence? No, people have been saying this for years. This is hearsay. Hearsay is not a good form of evidence. What would be good forms of evidence? Physical artifacts from the ship, physical body parts, good clear pictures, We've heard this story before. Should this give us confidence that aliens exist? No, it should not. We should remain skeptical. Extraordinary claims call for extraordinary evidence. If this is true, people should be able to deliver the goods. And if it's been sitting around for a long time and nobody's delivered the goods, it increases my skepticism. What are the most likely explanations you might be asking? Well, one, he's lying. Maybe he wants popularity. Maybe he has, is lonely. Um, Two, maybe his friends in the commission were taking the piss out of him. Maybe they were lying to him. 
Maybe his friends were trying to seem cool and say that they knew about these things. There are a plethora of ways he could be wrong. Did he bring alien technology to the hearing? No. Did he bring clear pictures of alien technology to the hearing? No. Is there a way to check the veracity of this? No. In the big picture, extraterrestrial life in our galaxy seems certain. There's something like a trillion planets in our galaxy alone. The issue is, are the conditions for evolution of extraterrestrial intelligent life likely to be out there? And in this case, it's highly unlikely for this to happen. But is Earth alone? One in a trillion? That seems unlikely, right? Maybe we're one in a billion. Maybe there's only a thousand intelligent civilizations in our galaxy. Either way, interstellar travel seems infeasible and takes a lot of energy and um, focus by society for uncertain gain. Is there a motivation for interstellar uh, alien intelligences to come visit us? Hard to tell. How would we know their motivations? Would we want to spend money and go investigate them? Maybe. Maybe it's possible. But if that, that were the case, I think the evidence would be more clear and more available. People would want to get this out if it were true. There are going to be people that would want to get this out. And maybe this guy is, is just a whistleblower, but nobody who has seen the stuff, if it exists, has come forward with the stuff. So until that happens, skepticism is the order of the day. One thing to take into account, the U.S. has orders of magnitude more UFO sightings than any other place on Earth. This is another reason for skepticism. Is it because the aliens think that the U.S. are the most interesting culture in the world to study? Is it because the people in the U.S. are the most observant and aware of what's going on in the sky? Or is it because the U.S. education system and culture turn uh, planets and meteorites into aliens? The one thing that always brings me back to uh, a, a skeptical position is, is knowing that astronomers, the people who look at the sky the most, never report UFOs. They understand what they're seeing. They know optics. They know uh, stellar and uh, transient phenomenon. They don't report UFOs. The last thing I want to talk about uh, in this episode, and I'm going to spend a little more time on that is on this, is um, the recent hubbub about um, a lab leak origin for the COVID pandemic virus. Now, the background behind this, the, the Republican caucus in the U.S. has recently uh, had, a, had a committee grilling leading virologists behind a particular paper called the Proximal Origins Paper that was released early in the pandemic uh, and published in Nature Medicine. And this right-wing media outlets are raising a hue and cry over uh, a government cover-up uh, supposedly led by their arch nemesis, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, the paper in question uh, concluded that, and this is early in the pandemic, that the virus is clearly not a laboratory construct or a purposefully manipulated virus. And in fact, the, the experts did not believe that any type of laboratory-based scenario is possible. These are quotes from the paper. And that the pandemic almost certainly started with a zoonotic event. Which, which means a, a spillover from of an animal virus into human populations. So this is the leaning away from 
uh, a lab release and suggesting that this was at a, at a live a wet market in in Wuhan, China. If you remember, Wuhan, China was was the place where the uh, pandemic started, and it has a um, virology lab which has been studying uh, COVID type viruses. So the the coincidence there is is maybe something that would cause someone to pause and think maybe they had a problem. There have been uh, concerns shared by scientists in the U.S. about the level of containment at the Wuhan uh, lab. Uh, and this has become a highly partisan issue. And that's why I'm here to present you with a rational view. And in part, it's because the Republicans hate Dr. Fauci and the lockdowns and are looking for a way to discredit him. Um, and how does he play into this? Well, under the Trump administration, the National Institute of Health lifted their uh, ban on gain-of-function research, which is adding um, things to viruses to make them more likely to infect humans to see how we could counteract them. That's the, the, the thinking behind making these uh, viruses. But you can see how this would also be seen as a potential um, research into like bioweapons or, you know, how this might be a dangerous tool in the hands of, of, of certain uh, administrations. So in, in 2017, they lifted the ban on this that had been put on, on this research in the U.S. that had been put on pause in 2014 uh, due to safety concerns. Now, the Democrats are involved to make this polarized because they've been active in opposing Trump's xenophobic claims of, of calling this the China virus and saying from the start that this was a lab leak with relatively no uh, information or no evidence. So this became polarized very early on, and it's, a, it's obviously a polarizing issue, the, the pandemic, as always, it's difficult to research polarized issues because you have um, each side pushing an agenda. So if you start searching the internet for opinions on this, you can easily get something that will reinforce your existing biases. Uh, you have so two silos, each uh, produ producing one-sided crap in all the regular echo chambers. So it's important that you seek out a variety of opinions on any polarized issue to try to remove your bias and get a, a good idea of what each side is claiming, and then go to the original sources if you can. It's a lot of work, and not a lot of people have time for that, and that's why I'm here to help you. So let me go into some of what I've learned in, in researching this. So virologists working on gain-of-function research at the top levels, and this includes Fauci, and he was director of, of one of the funding institutes in the U.S. for this type of research, and the People that published this paper on proximal origins to say that it wasn't a leak from the Wuhan lab. Um, so they had a vested interest in suggesting this wasn't a lab leak. There, there's a potential for biased thinking. They would be aghast if it came out that the lab that they were collaborating with in China had caused this by uh, leaking a, a, an actively improved virus into the public. Now, Trump was pushing the lab leak hypothesis from the start for his own motives, and the scientists pushed back. So this became a polarizing issue, and Fauci was director of the institute, which was funding research in virology at the lab in Wuhan, China. So this is where the, the link uh, comes in. So there's been access to information requests and looking at the emails of all these virologists, and some of them uh, paint a confused picture. 
let's say. So in a Slack conversation, one of the researchers referred to the shit show that would happen if anyone serious accused the Chinese of even accidental release. Now, this was happening in uh, January and February of, of 2020. Um, the paper came out in March, very soon after the uh, lockdown started. Um, a group of virologists and, and others wrote in The Lancet on February 19th, 2020, quote, we stand together to tr strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. So they're, they're basically trying to uh, say that there's no, this is a conspiracy theory that this could be coming from a lab. Uh, and it follows up saying scientists from multiple countries have published and analyzed genomes of the causative agent, severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus two, SARS-CoV-2. And they overwhelmingly conclude that this coronavirus originated in wildlife. So there, there are claims that this is a biased and unsupportable, um, claim. And this is, uh, basically, um, not true. So soon after this, they, they published the paper Proximal Origins suggesting that a lab leak was unlikely and its authoritative statements seemed to close the issue. The, the media picked up on this peer-reviewed paper and uh, basically said, look, you're wrong, Trump. You know, this, this isn't a lab leak. Look at the science. Look at the science. So but looking at the scientists' private correspondence provides insights that suggest they weren't that certain. So interesting. One paper shouldn't be definite, definitive for one thing, okay? And always look at who's doing it and where their funding comes from. Um, so yes, the evidence suggested, the evidence that was available to people in the media the scientific evidence suggested that this was not a lab leak, that this was from an animal market. But scientists' private conversation provides insight to suggest they weren't convinced. So here's access to information found that they initially, the scientists behind this paper initially contacted Fauci in January because they found that the genome was inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. In other words, they were concerned that this looked engineered in, in January of 2020. They contacted Fauci and there was a teleconference with high ups in the, in the community. Uh, one of the researchers stated in February of, of 2020 that accidental escape is in fact highly likely. It is not some fringe theory. And then uh, only a few days later, they turned around and, and poo-pooed the idea after they had the teleconference. So something happened to change their mind. Is it new evidence or is it, um, political, um, is it a political issue? Proximal Origins paper was published in Nature Medicine just a month later. Why the sudden turnaround? Republicans suspect it was a government motivated cover up. One question about is why would anyone cover this up? Right? It doesn't affect the public policy and how we deal with the pandemic. It doesn't affect whether we should be vaccinating. It doesn't affect whether we should be wearing masks. It doesn't affect whether we should be locked down. Most people that I know didn't care. This was a, a, a tempest in a teapot. The only people that cared were Trump pushing one theory and the virologists involved in this theory pushing another theory. To everyone else, this shouldn't have been an issue. 
in my opinion. Part of the problem is that a lab leak is taken to mean different things by different people. For scientists, the term is, you know, for the general public, I should say, the term may refer to the release of a manufactured bioweapon. And I think this is what a lot of people in the Republican side were trying to suggest with the term lab leak. Um, but to the scientists, a lab leak is most likely an accident involving, involving basic science research. Now, certainly you could also suspect that it was a manufactured bioweapon released in their home territory on purpose, but the, the, that seems a little bit odd. Um, knowing the uh, lack of high um, containment in the Chinese virology community, uh, an accident seems much more likely. Knowing that they were involved in gain-of-function research on, on bat coronaviruses makes it even more likely, in my opinion. Now, from a, from a scientific point of view, this is basic science research that could have gone awry. It could involve a virus with deliberately inserted genes to make it uh, infect humans. This has been published research. This is what these people were doing. Or it could have been rapidly involved in an animal in a cage or even in a Petri dish or even just a virus from the wild brought into the lab and released by accident. And they've, these researchers are going to bat caves all around China and trying to find dangerous viruses. So maybe that's just what happened. And that, you know, one explanation doesn't seem more embarrassing than the others. The Chinese have been uh, criticized for a long time and had said that they were no longer allowing live animal markets. So finding that the live animal market in Wuhan existed and might have been spreading virus was very embarrassing to the Chinese. So the Chinese government has not been forthcoming at all in this scenario. They've uh, hidden records at Wuhan. They've claimed that you know, they aren't doing live animal markets anymore, shut down all of these things. What did the paper say? The paper claimed that it didn't appear to be a genetically engineered bioweapon. If you look at the, the genetic, the gene code of this virus, it looks like a natural virus. And there were some suspicious um, things, a, a, a furin um, site in the, in the virus and the spike proteins seemed to like it could have been added. And this is a, a method by which researchers have been able to show that coronaviruses can gain human um, conductivity or human uh, non-immunity. So these things can jump to humans by adding the site, and this site was added to this, whether it was through evolution in the wild or through laboratory is unknown. And we may never know. The paper says it appears that the whole virus wasn't a genetically engineered bioweapon. It looks like it was um, a natural virus and they have found these, um, human spike proteins in the wild in pangolin viruses. So it's not impossible that this came about naturally. And I think probably we'll never know in general, unless we get actual lab notes from the Wuhan clinic showing these things, there's probably never going to be proof one way or the other. So, um, if you look through the emails of these scientists at first, they were just interested in showing that the virus was not engineered. And that's what the, the data seemed to suggest. But in the final version of the paper, they added somewhat imprecise language that seemed to be trying to shift attention away from a lab, leaks, a lab leak scenario altogether. And this is, I think, where um, some skepticism is warranted and, and some concern should be um, brought about. The problem is that scientists should know better than to publish politics as science. 
This sort of behavior erodes public trust and very well could exacerbate anti-vaccine sentiment. And we know that anti-vaccine sentiment is probably the most dangerous public health threat in the world right now uh, beyond, of course, uh, another pandemic. And it will result in worsened public health outcomes. So the warning is, scientists, you shouldn't be doing this. And you shouldn't be using, you should be very aware of your biases and you shouldn't be bringing politics into your science. And this seems to be a case that some of the results were overstated. There doesn't seem to be any, I would say, there's no made up results. The science they published was good. Um, the conclusions they came to were maybe not supported by the data. And we may expect more science to come out on this. Um, whether or not, you know, we see this as a natural or a lab induced virus, um, there could be more, more research on this topic. I don't exactly know where this is going, but I think the takeaway is that one paper is never definitive. This was rushed out, uh, and it gave us an idea that yes, this wasn't a genetically engineered virus bioweapon. I think that was the the main um, takeaway from this. This wasn't engineered to try to kill people. It seems like uh, very consistent with gain-of-function research that was going on as basic science. It's also consistent with some natural viruses. And the, the virus genetic code looks like it evolved over time. Um, so it looks like an evolutionary virus that was could have been tinkered with in a lab, I guess. That's that's my opinion at this point. But really, I don't care. Really, it's not important to public health where this virus came from. And people using this as a political tool to try to demonize a certain type of, a certain race, um, making xenophobic claims based on where it came from is not supportable, in my opinion. And I don't think it's helpful to the debating really does cause polarization. And the scientists should not have been drawn into this debate, except um, I think at the upper levels, they, from looking at the research, they were very afraid of losing funding for future gain of function research and for the funding uh, links between the Institute of Health and the Wuhan Virology Institute to be um, highlighted. Uh, they certainly didn't want to be credited with uh, helping to create a pandemic that killed millions. So that's my rational view on some of the main science discussions that have been coming out. Um, one more I want to touch on before I go. Um, rising North Atlantic temperatures, um, climate change. Um, you may have seen uh, published the um, annual uh, or, or month by month surface temperatures in the North Atlantic. And this year, they have gone outside of their historical range for the first time. They've significantly pushed out, you know, a half a degree Celsius above their, their traditional range. Um, sea surface temperatures in the North Atlantic have significantly exceeded their previous highest measured values. Um, why did this happen? And should we be worried? Is the ocean about to boil? Well, a half a degree isn't going to boil the ocean. What is going to happen? We don't know. It could affect uh, some species of phytoplankton in the North Atlantic. It could affect um, migration patterns of sea life. 
it could affect the flow of the Gulf Stream. Why did this happen? Well, a couple of reasons. One, just weather patterns this year are very favorable for high temperatures. These El Nino uh, things and La Nina patterns uh, come and go over, over periods of years. Also, regulations on burning of dirty coal have decreased the soot in the air over land and ocean recently, in recent years. This soot and, and aerosol dust uh, scatters incoming light back to space from the sun and acts to cool the surface. Now that that pollution is gone, more heat is being absorbed. Uh, as the ice cover decreases in the Arctic, more heat is being absorbed. Uh, this year, clouds of dust blown out to sea from the Sahara are also lacking. Usually there's a lot of dust that, that shields the ocean. So this year, the surface temperatures have skyrocketed outside of their normal range. Should we start to panic? Well, no, panic doesn't help anyone. We are entering a new normal and change can be dangerous. It can result in um, different fishing patterns. It can, it can result in ecological changes. It can result in ecological niches, hopefully new ones forming and old ones collapsing. Change can be dangerous. Many folks feel a half a degree is nothing to be worried about. It seems like nothing. But we have been in a very stable state for thousands of years, and now we're, we're pushing outside of it. The climate has been this warm before. Millions of years ago, this would not be out of the ordinary. The problem is the speed of change. And this is something that we should, should all be cognizant of. People say that the climate always changes. Well, yes, of course it does over millions of years. The problem is the speed of the current climate change uh, accelerated by greenhouse gas accumulation is perhaps unequaled in the history of the human species. And we are pushing outside of areas out of climate regions where the human species has evolved in a very, uh, like modern humans and civilization has evolved in a very stable climate. And civilizations, we know from, from looking at history, civilizations typically collapse when the climate changes and uh, irrigation dries up. We have droughts. We have uh, changes in, in rainfall. We have changes in weather patterns. This is what causes civilizations to collapse. So this is the risk we see. The problem is the speed of the changes and the impact it may have on civilization. Humanity isn't going to go extinct. Um, small portions of civilization will uh, survive. Um, the, the risk is, do we enter another dark age? Do we go from billions of people to hundreds of millions of people? What happens to the carrying capacity of our industrial system, our agricultural system? Can we feed the people when the climate changes? Can we adapt fast enough to all of the ecological changes? Can we, you know, if, if phytoplankton go extinct that are producing a lot of our oxygen, can we survive lower oxygen levels? If the insects that pollinate our crops go extinct, can we adapt? Interruption of the food supply is the single largest likely impact of these significant changes in my mind. Other people are worried about, um, Sea level rise, that's not going to happen quickly. Um, on the course of 50 to 100 years, they're going to rise by a few meters. And we can adjust at that rate. Significant loss of insects is, is troubling. And some of the data suggests this is happening already. There are a lot of troubling things. And the potential for positive feedbacks to, uh, you know, linear extrapolations aren't so worrying. The problem is, is nonlinear exponential 
breakdown of, of ecological niches and various things. These are unknowable risks. And so we're entering unknown territory. So the question is, can we adapt? Can our ecology and our, and our civilization adapt to these quick changes in the amount of time? So yes, it's very prudent to try to decrease our greenhouse gas contributions. On the other side of this, we need to make sure that the things we're doing don't endanger the same amount of people. We need to make rational choices and taking away energy from the poor and replacing it with energy they can't afford also has a risk. So we need to be making mature decisions that balance the risks as we best understand them. Now, yes, it would have been nice if we'd made these mature changes uh, 50 years ago or 20 years ago when we knew that global warming was going to be a problem. It would have been a lot more responsible if civilization 20 years ago had been building nuclear power to replace fossil fuels because we knew greenhouse gases were accumulating and we knew that this was going to push us out of our stable climate uh, region. This was known. There was no controversy in scientific circles. There was controversy being generated through oil companies and their advertising, just like the tobacco companies did to protect their markets, to protect the money that was flowing in. But we knew, and we didn't do anything about it. So now we have the difficult problem of balancing the changes that need to be made with the impacts that these changes are going to have on the poorest of us. And this is where we all need to come together and get rid of all of this polarizing talk and really sit down and talk about how this should be done. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this and learned something. Uh, and looking forward to chatting with you again. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patron.podbean.com slash the rational view. Thanks for listening.